Hey, welcome into Positive Light. We're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's episode is going to be on why I am here and God's purpose for my life. So out of Psalm 57 too, it says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. This is key in understanding God's purpose for your life. God has numbered your days and you fulfill every purpose he has for you. So Billy Graham was asked a question regarding why am I here and God's purpose for my life. And here's the question. Why did God put us here? I know this seems like a simple question, but sometimes I wonder if my life has any purpose to it or if I'm just here to have a good time. What do you think? Billy Graham's answer? No, God didn't put us here just to indulge ourselves or have a good time, at least in the way you probably mean it. God put us here for a purpose. And that purpose is to live for him and experience the joy of his presence every day. The problem is, God wants to be at the center of our lives. But so do we. We want to run our own lives and be free to do anything we please because we think that must be the path to happiness. But when we live only for ourselves, we find it it doesn't bring us happiness after all. In fact, a life of self-indulgence only leads to emptiness. The Bible warns, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Out of Proverbs 14.12 But God has another way for us. His way. It alone is the way of peace. It alone will bring us true happiness. Not only that, but his path alone will lead us to heaven. What is that way? It is the way of the cross. Christ's cross. On the, on the cross, Christ took away all our sins and selfishness, and now he wants to come into our lives and replace them with his love. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full out of John 10.10. 10. Turn to Christ today and ask him to come into your life. Then ask him to begin changing you from within, and he will. As you yield your life to him and allow his word, the Bible, to shape your life every day. So next, I want to read a poem to you, and it's called The Rose. And here it is. Delusioned by life with good reason to frown, for the world was intent on dragging me down. And if that weren't enough to ruin my day, a young boy out of breath approached me, all tired from play. He stood right before me with his hand tilted down, and with great excitement, look what I found. In his hand was a rose, what a pitiful sight, with its petal all worn, not enough rain or too little light. Wanting him to take his dead rose and go off to play, I faked a small smile and then shifted away. But instead of retreating, he sat next to my side and placed the rose to his nose and declared with a surprise, It sure smells pretty and it's beautiful too, that's why I picked it here, it's for you. The weed before me was dying or dead, not vibrant of colors, orange, yellow, or red. But I knew I must take it or he might never leave. So I reached for the rose and replied, just what I need. But instead of him placing the rose in my hand, he held it in midair without reason or plan. It was then that I noticed for the very first time the weed-toting boy could not see he was blind. I heard my voice quiver, tears shone like the sun, as I thanked him for picking the very best one. You're welcome, he smiled, and then he ran off to play, unaware of the impact he had on my day. 
I sat there and wondered how he managed to see a self-pitying woman beneath the old willow tree. How did he know of my self-indulged plight? Perhaps from his heart he had been blessed with true sight. Through the eyes of the blind child, as I last I could see, the problem was not with the world, the problem was with me. And for all of those times I myself had been blind, I vowed to see beauty in life and appreciate every second that's mine. And then I held that wilted flower up to my nose and breathed in its fragrance of a beautiful rose. And I smiled and I watched a young boy, another weed in his hand, about to change the life of an unspecting old man. So why am I truly here on earth? Or in other words, why are we even born if we're only to die some 70 or 80 years later? Isn't there more to life than to say, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Probably not if you believe the earth was created from a big bang, that man evolved from amoebas millions of years ago, or that there is no creator. Science is even discovering that the universe is getting old. It's dying, just like man. And it's not going to last forever. Something makes us wonder, why am I here? That something is God. In the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth, the humans, and the amoebas. The Bible tells us that God specifically created man and woman in his image and that he desired to have fellowship, companion or friendship, with his creation. He blessed them and gave them rule over fish of the sea and birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground, out of Genesis 1.1. We are here to tend to the earth. We are also here for God's pleasure, which ends up being pleasurable for us if we know him personally. So there's more than just living and dying. Each person is born in God's image, which is personable, able to love, to laugh, to feel, and to think. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Out of 2 Peter 3, 9. What is repentance and why do we need it? When the first man, Adam, sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, out of Romans 5, 12. Well, without recognizing that we inherited that sin status and trusting that God made a way through Jesus Christ to change our status through rep- repentance, we can never have a relationship with God, for He is holy and we are sinful. We are here on earth to honor God, to know God, and to share the benefits of this experience with others while on earth so we can ultimately spend eternity in a place called heaven. We can only do that if we know Jesus as our Savior. So next I'm going to introduce a song, again by Tommy Walker. Pretty fond of Tommy Walker Ministries and his songs. The song is called, Here I Am Again. And here's the song.
This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And with the gift of this new day comes a brand new chance to worship the Lord. Tell Him in a fresh new way how much we love Him, how we praise Him. We love you, Lord. Let's sing like this. Thank you for a brand new day, a brand new chance to stand and say, I love you, how I love you. Another great song by Tommy Walker. And the part that I like the best is right off this 
start he sings here i am again just looking for the words that help me say that my heart is full of love and praises i must have prayed a thousand prayers and sung a hundred songs but i had just have to say it again so this next part is out of the book called purpose driven life by rick warren the most fundamental question you can ask yourself is why am i here God makes everything with a purpose. Every plant has a purpose. Every animal has a purpose. And if you're alive, that means that God has a purpose for your life. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him, out of Colossians 1.16. The Bible teaches that God had five purposes in making you. These five purposes are explained by Jesus in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. They're demonstrated by the early church in Acts chapter 2. They're explained by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, and they're prayed about by Jesus in John chapter 17. Number one, plan for God's pleasure. The first reason that you were made, the first purpose of your life is this. You were planned for God's pleasure. God made you to enjoy you. For instance, Revelations 4.11 says, You, God, created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Do you enjoy watching your kids? Do you know that God enjoys watching you be you? He looks down and goes, That's my girl, or that's my boy. Now, if you don't get anything else, I say I want you to get this. You were created as an ob object of God's love. The Bible says God is love. It doesn't say he has love. It says, He is love. I think the two words that best describe the Christian life are love affair. God wants you to know Him and love Him. Everything else is secondary to that. He wants you to know Him and He wants you to love Him. Now that means the most important thing in your life is first knowing God and loving God. And the second most important thing in your life is learning to do the things that show how you love Him. So out of Matthew 22, the great commandment says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The Bible tells us in Timothy that some people miss the most important thing in life. They don't know God. There is a word for expressing love to God, worship. Worship is expressing your love to God, and worship is living in a life pleasing to God. You know, there's a big myth today in most of Christianity. Today, the word worship is most people's mind is a synonym for music. We say things like, well, I like that message, but I really like the worship, as if the message wasn't worship. Worship is more than music. Worship is everything you do that brings pleasure to God. Your whole life is to be a life of worship. And so the first purpose, the very first purpose of your life is to worship God. And number two, form for God's family. Just as worship brings God's pleasure because he wants us to love him, fellowship with other believers brings God's pleasure because we're formed for God's family. So let's look at Ephesians 1.5, the unchanging plan. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family. You know why God made you? Because he wanted a family. And that family is going to outlast your physical family because it extends into eternity. One of the most misunderstood ideas about the Christian life is that it's just a matter of believing. But God says, no, you're not just believers, you're belongers. You belong to the family of God. 
Did you know that 58 times in the New Testament the word one another is used? Love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, encourage one another, greet one another, and on and on and on. God wants you to care for other people. That's called fellowship. Enjoying, enjoying God's family is called fellowship, and that's the second purpose for your life. And number three, created to be like Christ. You were planned for God's pleasure. That's called worship. And you were formed for a family. That's called fellowship. Here's the third reason God made you. You were created to be like Christ. That's called discipleship. God made you to transform you into a likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8:29, from the very beginning that those who came to him and all along he knows who would, should become like his son, so that his son would be the first of many brothers. Now this is not God's new plan B. It's been God's plan from the very beginning of time. God is far more interested in what you are than what you do. He's far more interested in your being than in your doing. A lot of people ask, what is God's will for my life, in my job or my career? Do you know what? You probably have two dozen different careers and God would say that's fine. God is more interested in your character and I'll tell you why. You're not taking your career into eternity, but you are taking your character. So God's goal here on earth is more about what you become than what you do because it's what you become that, that you take into heaven. One of the biggest questions we asked ourselves over and over is, why is this happening to me? Why did this happen? Why do I have this problem in my life? The answer is always the same. If you're a believer, to make you like Jesus. If God is going to make you like Jesus, then he's going to take you through everything Jesus went through. Was there any time when Jesus was lonely? Yes. Was there any time Jesus was tempted? Yes. Was there any time when Jesus was unpopular? Yes. Misunderstood? Yes. Criticized? Yes. Went without basic needs? Yes. Was there any time in Jesus' life when things did not make his life comfortable? Absolutely. Why do you think God would spare you those things? The Bible says Jesus learned obedience through suffering. The Bible says in heaven that Jesus was made perfect, mature, with the, through suffering. What makes you think you'd be any different? What makes you think God would spare you from something he did not spare his own son from? If he is going to make you like Christ, he's going to take you through everything Jesus went through. God produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life by putting you in the exact opposite situation. If God wants to teach you real love, does he put you around a bunch of lovely people just like you? No. If God wants you to teach you real love, he's going to put you around some unlovely people. It's the easiest to love people like you. You like yourself. How does God teach you peace? You're sitting at home when everything is perfect and the kids are quiet and you're making a lot of money. No. He puts you in a traffic jam. Peace is learned in chaos and in crisis. How about patience? He puts you in lines. You ever been to the Department of Motor Vehicles? That's the number one way God makes you more patient. There is no problem you can't grow from if you'll learn the right response. You become like Jesus. This is God's third purpose for your life. Becoming like Christ is called discipleship. Number four, shape for service. The fourth purpose God created you for is this. 
You were shaped for service. God made you to serve Him. Now your plan for God's pleasure, that's worship. You're formed for a family, that's fellowship. You're created to be like Christ, that's discipleship. And now you're shaped for service, and that's called ministry. In Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says, God has made us what we are in Christ Jesus. God made us to do good works with God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. Every Christian is created to serve, called to ministry, created for ministry, saved for ministry, gifted for ministry. The Bible makes it very clear that every Christian is a minister. Not every Christian is a pastor, but every Christian is a minister because to be Christ-like is to be a minister. You can't be like Jesus Christ without serving others. So what is ministry? Ministry is any time you use the abilities God has given you to help someone else in Jesus' name. The Bible teaches that God uniquely wired you in a certain way for a purpose. When you get to heaven, God is going to ask you two questions. What have you done with my son Jesus Christ? And the second question will be, what did you do with what I gave you? We are stewards of everything God gave us, and you were shaped for service. God gave you the abilities for service. God gave you the abilities not for your benefit, but to bless other people. Number five, made for a mission. So why did God make you? The Bible says that you were planned for God's pleasure and you bring God pleasure when you worship him. The Bible says you were formed for a family and that family on earth is called the church and the fellowship and that brings him pleasure. The Bible says that you're created to be like Christ, to grow up in him, to mature, and that's called discipleship. The Bible says that you're shaped for service. God wired you in a unique way to make a contribution. You weren't put on this earth just to take up space and breathe and die. You were put on this earth to make a contribution, and that's called your ministry. So the fifth reason you were put on this earth is that you were made for a mission. Jesus said in John 17:18, Father, in the same way you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Every believer needs a ministry in the church and, and a mission in the world. You need both. You need a ministry to believers and you need a mission to unbelievers. If you want God's blessing on your life, if you want God's hand of blessing on your life, you must care about the things God cares about most. And that is bringing lost children back to Jesus. That is what God cares about more than anything else. Paul was extremely passionate about this particular purpose. He says in Acts 20, 24, The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus Christ gave me. And what is that work? To tell people the good news about God's grace. Now, fulfilling my mission in the world, there is a word for that in the Bible. It's called evangelism. That is the fifth purpose God has for your life. And Rick Warren stated that his dad was a man on a mission. He was a pastor for 50 years, but died a few years ago of cancer. The last week of his life, he was delusional. And my wife and I were sitting beside him. He was very frail, and he lost all this weight from cancer. One night, he became agitated and tried to get out of bed. Kay said, Jimmy, you can't get out of bed. Lay back down. You're very weak. You're dying. But he tried to get back out of bed. And my wife said again, no, please lay back down in the bed. She forced him back down in the bed. And she said, what is it you need? He said, got to save one more for Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. And he began to say this over and over. 
And in the next hour, he must have repeated this line maybe a hundred times. Gotta save one more for Jesus. As I sat there by his bedside, I put my head down, praying. Tears were coming down my cheeks. My dad reached up and he put his hand on my head like a blessing. And he said, save one more for Jesus. Save one more for Jesus. I intend for that to become the theme of the rest of my life. And I invite you to make it the theme of your life. You were made for a mission. Now I have shared from God's word what it means to live a life of purpose, a purpose-driven life. So what are you going to do about it? So the Bible says David served purpose in his own generation. I can't think of a better epitaph. That's what I want for my life. That when I die, people will say he served God's purpose in his generation. And that's what I want people to say about you. That you've served God's purpose in your generation. The problem is is that we get distracted from our purposes by other people, plans, program, pressures, and problems. Before I pray for you, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And I would encourage you to read this prayer aloud. Father, more than anything else, I want to fulfill my pr- the purposes you've made for me. I want you to use me anytime, anywhere, any place. I want my life to bring you pleasure. I want my heart to grow in worship. I want to learn to love you. I want to be used to build the fellowship between believers. Thank you for the privilege for being a part of your family. It's my heart's desire to become like Jesus. I will do whatever it takes to cause this to happen. Help me to discover my shape for ministry and to use the talents you've given me to you to help others. Help me to have a servant's heart. Father, I want you to fulfill my mission on earth. Give me a burden for people who don't know you. I want to serve your purpose in my generation, and I want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. From this day forward, I want to build my life around your purposes. Help me, Jesus. And that last episode that I was talking about was from the book called Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. There's no way I could have said that any better myself, so that's why I shared it with you. So, ending this episode today, I want to play a clip from a movie called Evan Almighty when Morgan Freeman as God is talking to Evan's wife. And here it is. Oh, excuse me, can I get a refill, please? Coming right up. Excuse me, you... Are you alright? Yeah. No. It's a long story. Well, I like stories. I'm considered a bit of a storyteller myself. My husband? Have you heard of New York's Noah? <laughs> the guy who's building the ark. That's him. I love that story. Noah and the ark. You know, a lot of people miss the point of that story. They think it's about God's wrath and anger. They love it when God gets angry. What is the story about then, the Ark? Well, I think it's a love story about believing in each other. You know, the animals showed up in pairs. They stood by each other, side by side, just like Noah and his family. Everybody entered the Ark side by side. But my husband says God told him to do it. What do you do with that? Sounds like an opportunity. Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? 
If you prayed for courage, has God given them courage, or does He give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does He give them opportunities to love each other? So we need to get close to God and we need to pray to God that he reveals what he has for us. And in my opinion, that for me and for you, that is the meaning of life, is what God has for you and me in this world. And my closing prayer is always that God blesses the journey that you're on with him and that you embrace the path that he has you on. Hey, you can catch me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can catch my podcast. Also, you can catch the medical stuff and the new podcast, EMS 2020, anywhere you download your podcast for free. And next week's episode is going to be on the eyes of your heart. Hope everybody had a great week. God bless. We'll see you next week.